BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is, what day is today? Today is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023. It's 5.30 in the afternoon here in Switzerland, where I find myself today, 11.30 in the morning on the east coast of the United States, uh, from which our friend and colleague Larry Johnson joins us today. Larry, always a pleasure. Thanks for your uh, spending your time with us. Uh, since last uh, we spoke, it, it appears pretty uh, certain, even uh, from grudging uh, admissions by the Ukrainians, that Bakhmut has fallen to the Russians. How bad right. a defeat was this for Ukraine? It was decisive in the sense that 26 to 30,000 troops on the Wagner side defeated over 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian side. Now, wow. normally, and the statistics in war normally are that uh, a defending force, like the four Ukrainians, they're defending uh, Bakhmut, that you would need an army three times that size to take Bakhmut. Instead, an army one-third the size took Bakhmut. Now, the Wagner group didn't do it all by itself. They had dramatic support, significant support from Russian artillery, Russian uh, air, fixed wing aircraft, etc. So, but the story, the, the 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 narrative that was presented to the public was that this was Wagner by itself, and it sort of blows up uh, the U.S. criticism and the NATO criticism. They they characterize the Wagner folks as a bunch of conscripted convict criminals who are just you know they're they're against their will. They're not very good. Hey, all we can say is. 30,000 guys beat over 100,000 Ukrainians. And in, in, uh, that's one of your postings, in one of your postings on this, uh, since the uh, Russian victory in Bakhmut, you referred to the battle there as a meat grinder. And you yes. listed, it almost seemed endless, single-spaced. The list took up a whole page uh, of all the brigades and various militias and entities that the uh, Ukrainian uh, military poured into Bakhmut. Uh, did they overplay their hand? Would it have been better for them to have uh, surrendered rather than to have suffered this catastrophic loss of uh, human life? The decisions that were made in Bakhmut were played out by, in terms of politics, not military strategy. There have been reports that there was a real split between President Zelensky who insisted upon staying in and holding on to Bakhmut, and General Saluski, who's been absent, noticeably absent in, over the last several weeks, who wanted to withdraw forces. A list of all of the different uh, brigades and battalions, uh, you know, when you total them up, uh, it's, it's well over 120,000 people, and 
the estimates from the Ukrainian side are they suffered 70% casualties. Now, I didn't come up with that. That list was provided by a substack uh, fellow by the name of Simplicius the Thinker. But uh, the list, as you rightly point out, it's, it's extensive. And that it wasn't just Ukrainian. Remember, this was a NATO-trained and equipped army. This was, in effect, the Russians fighting the West, and the Russians in this particular contest prevailed. Did uh, the the Russians intentionally use uh, what you, I think, once referred to as a meat grinder, almost like a like an iron claw, where they they tricked the Ukrainians into entering and fighting, and then destroyed everybody uh, that entered that area that the Russians surrounded. In other words, could the Russians have taken this earlier? Uh, with fewer Ukrainian casualties, or stated differently, did the Russians use this as a mechanism for depleting the strength and the size of the Ukrainian military? I, I believe it's the latter. When you go back to what Putin initially outlined as the goals of the entire special military operation to demilitarize Ukraine, well, the only way you demilitarize it is you destroy its military force and you destroy its equipment. Uh, they, they certainly could have taken Bakhmut in more conventional, what's called maneuver warfare, where you don't directly attack the city, you go out, surround it, cut off the surrounding access uh, roads into the city, uh, deny it logistics, starve it out. They chose not to do that. And uh, it is reported that Surovikin, the general who ran operations previously in Syria, was the one instrumental in saying, this is what we're going to do. And the Ukrainians took the bait. They kept pouring men and materiel into that death trap. And the the numbers that were lost there are, are really staggering in terms of the overall size of the Ukrainian force. And when it's all over, what did they achieve? Nothing. Uh, Larry, they, as, you point, as you point out, uh, General Sarovikin, who is or was, I don't know which answer you're going to give us, uh, the uh, commander of all military uh, operations is a well-respected on the international scene um, military general, not a political hack. Is he dead or has he been killed? Oh, you mean Zaluzny? I'm sorry, Zaluzny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, the, the reports are now, and uh, I think they're credible, is, is that he was wounded and that he's been hospitalized and those wounds, severe wounds, being treated. There, are, there was a report that uh, he claimed, supposedly had a conversation uh, with uh, Lloyd Austin, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, just the other day. Uh, but I, I'm very skeptical of that because the initial reports about Zaluzhny uh, had Zaluzhny going on vacation at Crete, you know, swimming <laughs> in the ocean. It turned out those photos were... <laughs> from several years ago. So there clearly has been a staged managed information operation regarding Zaluzhny. Whether he is alive or dead, what was clear is there was a split between him and Zelensky. And I think Zelensky is in uh, some real trouble uh, in terms of his political standing in Ukraine. Are parts of Russia being dragged into this war 
because uh, the Ukrainians are using NATO equipment to attack land that is indisputably yeah. Russia. Yeah, you're referring to the cross-border incursion in the Belgorod region uh, yes. that just took place on Monday. And yes. um, Ukraine has said, you know, sort of like Butterfly McQueen from Gone with the Wind, I don't know nothing about no invasion. And uh, the United States has said, oh, we don't know anything about it except what the Russians captured were American-made MRAPs, vehicles, armored vehicles. So it's it's not like uh, General Motors set up a car lot in Kiev, sell it to whatever buyer happened to wander by and, you know, fork over, you know, a half million dollars. So this clearly is Ukrainian surrogates going into uh, Russia, but they're, get, they're getting killed. They were all killed. So you've got to step back and say, if you're going to use force, what's your objective? What is the outcome that you want? If just getting yourself killed is the purpose, that doesn't get you uh, into the winner's circle. So, Larry, this is very uh, dangerous given Ukraine's geographical location. Would they have gone into Russia? Would they have attacked Russia? without the knowledge, consent, or even knowledge and looking the other way of their NATO bosses. No. And, and that's the real problem, Judge. What's going on here is that there is now no off-ramp. The, hmm. rhetoric, the vitriol that's being voiced by the group, the G7, by the United States, by the United Kingdom, portrays not just Putin, not just the Russian military, but all of Russia, its people, its economy, its culture, as an enemy, as nothing to be respected, as something ultimately to be destroyed, to be dismantled. And the Russians realize that now. They understand that. That, that was not their understanding more than a year ago. And uh, you've got to, if, if you don't have a, a, a grounds for negotiation, it's going to end in conflict. Here's uh, President Biden uh, in Hiroshima announcing that he changed his mind and the uh, allies to whom American industry has sold F-16s are now free to ship those F-16 fighters to Ukraine. But just as important, maybe more important in the grand scheme of things, Larry, the U.S. will be training uh, Ukrainian fighter pilots in the U.S., to use these jets. Watch yes. this. The United States, together with our allies and partners, is going to begin training Ukrainian pilots in fourth-generation fighter aircraft, including F-16s, to strengthen Ukraine's air force as part of a long-term commitment to Ukraine's ability to defend itself. You, uh, in one of your postings, I'm smiling because this is typical of, of, yes. of the Larry Johnson I've known for many years, referred to the G7 meeting in Hiroshima as a clown show. Why did you use language uh, that strong? There's not an ounce of leadership or vision. It's all ad hominem attacks on their part. Uh, You know, here's Joe Biden. Uh, It it looks like he's going for the Nadia Comaneci Award, given the number of backflips he's had. I mean, this guy's putting on a gymnastics performance, a metaphorical one at that, but he's reversed course on everything that he said that he wasn't going to do. And they're not stepping back and taking a look at the reality, which is 
you remember the game changers of uh, the High Mars? Whoops, that turned out to be the game changer. And it's been, and the Patriot, oh, the Patriot's going to change the game. No, that didn't change it. There is no such thing as a miracle weapon that's going to change the trajectory of this war. That the F-16, if it is introduced, and the only way it can really be introduced is it's going to have Western pilots in the cockpit. It's not going to have Ukrainians. And I think as Doug McGregor pointed out in your previous show, that's crossing a red line that's going to escalate this dramatically because Russians will shoot these planes down. They will not make their way into any kind of effective attack. All they are can fought. Is the uh, U.S. and NATO, I guess NATO, using Ukraine as a battering ram against Russia? Uh, trying to, but it's a it's a pretty flaccid one. I mean, because the reality is they're, uh, the Ukrainians are the ones dying in droves, not the Russians. The Ukrainians are the ones that are losing aircraft, artillery pieces, tanks, armored vehicles, and droves with no easy means to replace them, whereas Russia's economy is actually growing in part because its defense industry has been rekindled and it's producing massive amounts, tanks, armored vehicles, artillery pieces, shells, missiles. So it's just, it is a, a you know, a decided loss on the part of the Ukrainians. Why does the G7 think or treat Russia as if it thinks Russia is a, a creaky uh, autocracy on the verb on the verge of economic collapse. Don't don't your former colleagues in the intelligence community who monitor economic factors as well as uh, military, uh, political, and intelligence ones uh, tell old Joe and his buddies, "Hey, Putin's doing pretty well. The Russian economy is booming. House sales uh, are up." You can get a loan uh, at a bank, notwithstanding, notwithstanding, Mr. President, all of your sanctions. That's what's so alarming to me, Judge. It's not just the G7. There is a solid element in the foreign policy establishment in both Washington, D.C., and London, and Germany that genuinely, really, truly believe that Russia is a creaky old economy that it's a corrupt communist autocracy, that it has uh, ignorant, drunken people, and that it's hanging by a thread. And if we just push it a little harder, it's going to break. And it's like they haven't been paying attention over the last year. If you, you recall, I'm sure that starting at the end of March of 2022, more than a year ago, we were being informed, oh, Russia's going to run out of those missiles any day now. They, they, they can't keep this up. And yet now we've seen over the last three weeks, going on now three weeks, Russia's been carrying out missile and bombing strikes at a rate not seen at any time in this war, hitting targets throughout Ukraine and at no risk of being shot down by Ukrainian air defense systems, which are kaput. So you have uh, given high marks at times to the CIA for its technical ability to gather uh, evidence and and the same for uh, British Intel. You, of course, and I with you have been critical of them as well, but but don't don't they provide 
uh, truthful information to their bosses, their civilian bosses, so that the civilian bosses, notwithstanding what they say in Hiroshima, must know that Russia is in far better shape than they are portraying it as being. And they portray it as a weakling, as, as if it were, as if Putin were Brezhnev, as if right. this were 30 years ago. They, when they do this, they portray it that way at their peril. There, there are some in the agencies that do, in the CIA in particular, that present accurate information or try to. But uh, if you've read uh, Cy Hearst lately, what Cy has pointed out is that there is a real rift between White House and elements in the CIA where they're not listening to the professionals in the CIA that have been trying to warn them. Now, this may be the CIA recognizing that the, the car crash is coming and trying to you know, exit it, you know, either put on its seatbelt or get out of the car before it happens. But... The, the fact of the matter is that the White House is shutting out any alternative intelligence voice that's trying to bring some clarity to it. There, there simply is no grounds for discussion. This that Doug McGregor talked about that as well in one of your uh, latest broadcasts. That uh, there is no open door. That if you go in, you try to talk some sense that Russia is not our enemy. Russia is not intent on rebuilding uh, this. The, we hear about imperial Russia. What a nonsense term. When Russia was, quote, an, imper an empire, it did not have colonies around the world. Countries that like, had like colonies around the world. Yeah. Us, the Brits, the Germans, the French, the Dutch. You know, this is psychological projection at its worst. We keep attributing to both the Chinese and the Russians imperial ambitions when the West is the only one that's actually been out exploiting uh, the people of color around the world. Why, why do they so hate Russia? Why are they so willing to cut it off? Why do they, and I say they, I'm talking about the foreign policy establishment sure. that Joe Biden has appointed in this country, and they are of like mind with, I think, their Western European colleagues, why do they not understand there will never be peace negotiations with uh, an enemy that you don't think even has the right to exist? Yeah, it, it gets to the issue of control. In the past, both the United States and the West felt that they could effectively control, coerce, bully Russia, particularly in the, in the wake of the collapse of the former Soviet Union in 1991. And Vlad, they hate Vladimir Putin because he will not bow to them. He will not surrender his country to be raped. The United States, the West, they are lusting after Russia as the most rich country in the world in terms of natural resources. Uranium, nickel, gold, uh, the fertilizer. I mean, just go down the list on almost every significant commodity and mineral. Russia is a leader, and the West desperately wants that, but they're not going to get it for free, and that's why they hate Putin, and, th and that hatred is now extended to all things Russian. Do you think that NATO is planning some sort of an attack on Russia, either from the air or the ground? Uh, I do not think so. I don't think they're that crazy. Uh, I, think, I know that there are some colonels and lieutenant colonels and majors at, at, at 
they're the worker worker bees within the military who are saying that that was just a totally insane idea. Uh, and hopefully their views prevail. But I do not put it past them that they will look for some way to insert U.S. military personnel who are on leave into these combat roles. And all it's going to lead to are, you know, more back, coming back to Dover, Delaware. Uh, and when the first F-16 is shot down, and when the first F-16 is shot down and we find out it was piloted or co-piloted, I don't know what the phrase is, by an American, and that poor soul comes back in a body bag. Where does that leave Joe Biden uh, and his globalists? Well, it's going to force them to escalate. They are going to run into a confrontation with Russia because as Russia begins to take out U.S. military assets, the political pressure in the United States is going to be so great in terms of insisting that there be retaliation. We can't can't take this. We've got to show them who's boss. And, you know, you got people like this, uh, you know, there's an article by Elliot Cohen who gave a speech in the, to a Polish conference just the other day. He's a, he's a former major player in, in the neocon foreign policy uh, arena. And he was talking just to those Russian CRF-35s. Yeah, there's a $100 million aircraft that is a white elephant. And when that gets shot down, too, you don't have an option. So, you know, my attitude is, you, just, you don't walk into a bar that you don't know anybody in the bar or a bar fight because they all may be related. And then you may end up fighting the whole family. Nicely put. Larry, always a pleasure, my dear friend. I appreciate you uh, changing your schedule to uh, accommodate my uh, travels. Thank you very much for joining us. Always happy to and stay away from the talk over there. Thank you. More as we get it this week, no matter where I might be. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.